Hello and welcome to the very first Eleanor podcast. Yay! And um, this is a special mini series that we're recording, and it's going to be focusing on end of life care in the LGBTQ plus community. So my name's Anna. I'm an equality, diversity and inclusion consultant that's been working with Eleanor Hospice for about the last 12 months or so. And I'm also an active member of the LGBTQ plus community. So not only do I feel very privileged to be here on the very first podcast, the fact that this is right up my street talking about this sort of stuff, very passionate about this and incredibly privileged to be here. So absolutely no pressure for us on the first podcast. Um, and I'm here with some of my colleagues, so gay and straight members of staff, and we're gonna be talking about hospice care and what they think it means to the LGBTQ plus community. So my role at LNR is to promote equality, diversity and inclusion, build up awareness um, around you know, hospice care within our minority communities that historically hospices like ours really struggle to attract. We wanna learn, we want to improve, but most of all, we just want to create that trust within these communities to show that we are here for them, we're there for them, and just get this dialogue going because sometimes it's a bit of a no-go area and we want to change that. We want to be really open and transparent about some of these conversations. So is this important for us to do? Yes, it very much is. So we're going to talk more about it. Now, I'm glad to be joined by Rebecca French, who identifies as a trans woman and is very much as passionate as I am about this subject, and also Jackie Hackett, who is a straight member of our amazing clinical team here at Eleanor. So thank you both for joining me. Uh, now, I just want to very quickly tell you some of these stats, which I think put this into perspective. So research by Marie Curie shows that nearly 74% of LGBTQ plus people are not confident that health and social care services provide adequate end-of-life care for their needs. 74%. That's really high. Um, one in eight LGBTQ plus people, it's about 13%, have experienced some form of unequal treatment from healthcare staff. Mm -hmm. And one in seven LGBTQ plus people, it's about 14%, have avoided treatment for fear of discrimination. So... In this day and age, some of those stats scared me when I read them because I thought we was a bit further on, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, we were where we were. So for us as a hospice, by the time members of the LGBTQ plus community get to the end of their life, they've encountered so much discrimination, so much prejudice that they've almost just been conditioned to expect it wherever they go. Um, and they can often come across quite guarded. They don't want to tell you too much, certainly not until you've built that trust with them. So do you think that the fear of being judged stops people accessing the support that they need at end of life? Absolutely. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, it's, okay, so it's one of those most uncomfortable time periods anyway, and you're dealing with the worst kind of situation. Mm. And you don't want to be going up to someone and having to explain both my things. Like, oh, my partner's the same sex as me. Those kind of conversations are already difficult to come up with this one, so I just want to end peacefully. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a bit huge yeah. issue. And do you find that um, members of not just healthcare, but healthcare in general, hospice care, um, they assume a lot when they meet you? Because I find that. Yes. There's a yeah. lot of assumptions made, yeah. isn't there? And, and that's, that's human nature, isn't it? You talk about that assumption, you see someone, you think, what do I know about that person going forwards? And, and so you do make those assumptions. and and being gay and trans, it's something that's, it's not something that's in the forefront of people's minds. So those assumptions do get made. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Perfect. So myself and my wife, we look quite similar as well, both blonde hair, blue eyes. And 
nine times out of ten, particularly if we're out for a drink or getting chatted up, a lot of people think that we're sisters. And we just, we got so bored of telling them yeah. we're not, we now just, I don't know, it's a bit of fun for us. We don't, we don't take it too personally, but I know a lot of people might. But for us, we just say, yeah, yeah, we're sisters, because I cannot, I have got that energy to have that conversation again. And it's, you know, there's, there's hardly ever any malicious intent behind mm-hmm. it, but that assumption for me throughout my time in healthcare, whether it's GP, whether it's, you know, me going to my fertility clinics, you know, obviously anything like that. There were so many assumptions made about me as a person. Yeah. And when I would finally ask those questions to break down some of that, oh, okay, right, didn't realise. And there was, I say, there was no malicious intent behind it. No. But never assume anything. How do you think we are at Eleanor around making assumptions about people that might access our care? I think, unfortunately, we don't wish to make assumptions, but I think it's ingrained in society. And I think it's really hard trying to break down those barriers. Mm -hmm. So if you look at our IT system, we do a demographic screen where people come in and we ask what sex you are. So you can tell us whether you're male, you can tell us whether you're female. Then we've got a no, and then we've got other. So how do you actually start to acknowledge and respect people and engage with people when actually we just want to call everybody other? Because to me, that's that makes me feel really uncomfortable, actually. Yeah. And you know what? That's a really good point. I don't know what you find, but often people say nothing because they don't know what to say. And that is the biggest issue I've found, certainly doing this equality diversity work, is people would rather say nothing because they don't want to get caught out saying the wrong thing. And I get that because I've been one of those people. I've, I've not said anything and I've, you know, just sort of sat back and waited for someone else to approach a conversation. But should we, as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, be more open to correcting people in the right way and open to them making mistakes, if you like? Because that's my worry. People will say nothing and the conversation will just stop. And we don't want that. We want the conversation to continue. There is an element of going along to get on. You don't want to be different in a group. You don't want to stand out. You want to be a part of that group and not stand separate. So as part of the community, I guess I don't want to be excluded based on that. Mm-hmm. But yes, again, but in this case of when it comes up, we should be able to say, actually, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. But again, as you've already said, we would get tired of those conversations because they're all yeah. time. <laughs> and, and I've heard that someone say to me recently, why don't you just challenge every person? It's like, because this is a daily thing. Mm-hmm. This is happening all the time and it's exhausting. Just essentially just go, yeah, that crap on. I can't be dealing with that today. I've got other issues in my life. That's it. And, and if you've got some, again, end of life, they're not thinking, I need to challenge that. I don't want to be in that position. And the partners don't want to make that argument either as well. Mm-hmm. They want that time to be comfortable. So... Yeah, I think it's both sides. I think we can probably do more as the LGBT. Yep, agreed. But I think we need to have good ears that are happy to listen as well, though. And, and that's sometimes a difficulty. Yes. And I think as Eleanor, we are here for everyone. We're here for the patient, for the family, for those closer to them. Yeah. And I just think probably with a few little tweaks about how we ask the right questions, how we find out who's important to somebody, what their wishes are. You know, advanced care planning is something that we do all the time, and I know we do it really well, but how do we just extend that? And what would help us to actually do that more effectively so that people felt included? You're not having to say the same old thing you've told to everybody else. And I'm sure that, you know, that, that time will come. It's unfortunate that we're still trying to get there because mm. that shows you what society's like. Mm. And I think members of the LGBTQ plus community have a responsibility 
to, yes, you might have had a lot of fear, discrimination, judgment leading up to this point, but if you take that into your future and you continue with the mindset of, I'm not going to bother because I'm just going to get judged, you're not going to get anywhere. We're never going to progress. And it's about breaking down those barriers. And so for me, for example, God forbid, I sh you know, at the, at the end of my life, hopefully that won't go soon, if that did, I would be very open and transparent about my life and the fact that I've got two children and my wife because they're the most important thing to me. And at the end of my life, I want, you get one chance at death, don't you? And I want it to be as perfect as it can be. If you're ever going to hide who you are and shut up about who you are, that is not the time. So hospices almost have got this opportunity, if you like, to maybe come at it with a different approach and say, look, we're going to get one shot at this to ensure this is the most dignified, respectful death that we can give you. Tell us who you are. Be be open because you're going to get one shot at this. So maybe that is a route into the conversation. Who knows? But it's we need to break down that fear and that judgment somehow. And the fact that you're only going to get one shot at death might be our sort of routine to force the subject to the door. Yeah, I think when you're entering the service, if you're getting responses from um, Eleanor and who you're speaking with that are very open, very compassionate, very aware of your personal situation, could be LGBT, or as backgrounds, knowing that there's that door open from the start and there's that openness mm. allows that conversation further on. So it's just, I'll come in and you've asked my gender identity. So, okay, then I understand we're accepting that. I've had no barriers up or pushback. Later on, like, okay, so if I want to talk about more, yeah. and it's just once that door's open, the flood said, people want to talk about themselves, they want to share who they are. Yes. And it's knowing that you've got that friendly and safe environment, and identifying you are a safe environment. Mm. That's what's key for many people. It is. And do you find, because I often find once the ice is broken, when I talk to a healthcare professional or someone, and okay, it's out the bag, <laughs> I'm out, like this is me, and you know now who I am, I feel so much lighter. I feel so much better about talking because. Up until the point where you actually have that conversation about who you are and, you know, are you married, are you single, all of those sorts of conversations. It's almost like the elephant in the room. I'm thinking, are they going to ask me or have I got to say? Or... So maybe we can have a think as a hospice about the best way to make members of the community feel more comfortable about being open so that they don't wait for us to say it. And we don't wait for them to say it. It's almost like this, we meet somewhere in the middle. It should be organic, really. Yeah, it shouldn't need one or the other. It should just be a case of it's another thing on the list. It shouldn't be something special. Mm. As, as much as I like to be a special snowflake, <laughs> I don't necessarily like going to a conversation and be wanting to make it all about me, mm. but it's a case of just knowing in most of my situations that are quite really hard to know that that's not going to be an issue, mm. but it's understood that there's going to be some differences it's noting that my needs are going to be different from a, uh, a cis woman it's and just knowing okay and just dealing with it as another uh, walking life yeah not, yeah. That, not that difference yeah and do you think jackie is a hospice is there any way we could i don't know try something different or do we need to try something different with the way we approach conversations and get to know people like the advanced care planning stage because you're right we're really good at that hospices are really good because hopefully most people will have a bit of time in order to do that that's the sort of you know clients that we work with people that we work with patients we support so is there any way we could i don't know maybe adapt the way that we do that that relationship building in order to accommodate lgbtq plus members i think it's about being inclusive and mm -hmm. i think what i'd hate to see is we've got one pathway if you're straight 
And then yes. if you're part of that LGBT community, actually we've got to go down a different pathway. Yeah, sure. What we need to do is to make sure everything we do is so inclusive, it just allows everybody to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And that way we have really holistic care that meets mm-hmm. everybody's needs mm-hmm. because people here are really kind, caring and compassionate. Yeah. That's why we do what we do. And there are a lot of people, my colleagues, that really want our care to be the best it can be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about broadening, it's about looking at things to make sure we get it right first time. Yeah. You're right, you only die once. We've got one yeah. chance to get this right. If you do it wrong, the impact on families, your families, mm-hmm. your friends, is absolutely massive into grief. And, and we know that because we've got all the science that proves if you have a really poor experience mm-hmm. pre-death, that impacts your involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, it's about actually looking at what we're doing and saying, is this as inclusive as it can be? By asking these questions, yeah. are we going to get all the answers that we want so that you felt you've told us everything that's important about you, no matter mm-hmm. who you are? Mm-hmm. And I, for me, that's that's the sort of most overriding thing. Yeah, no, completely right, completely right. And I, I suppose for us as a hospice, what we've got to remember is our key demographics and the people that come through our doors. If they are from the LGBTQ plus community, they're of a certain age. They've had potentially years of discrimination. They've been through riots. They, you know, it's been illegal to be who you are yeah. in their day and age. So they're coming in with a very different perspective than say I would, or you know, like my niece and nephew. Like the generations as they they're growing up, it's going to be a lot more open. It's going to be a lot more, you know, normal, shall we say? But the people like the over sixty fives. They've come at this from a very different era and a very different approach. So we would potentially have to make them feel more comfortable and maybe approach the communication with them in a slightly different way than we would, you know, if it, I know like someone like my niece or nephew's friends would go, hi, I'm a gay woman. And like, they have no problem with it at all. But certain members of, you know, our, our clientele from that era, they've just grown up in a very, very different way to like to us. So I think we would have to be completely agree. Everyone should, there should be a different pathway for LGBTQ. It should be one pathway, one way of approaching, be completely inclusive as much as we can. But we might have to be mindful of the certain people from that generation. You might have to have four, five, six conversations before they're even going to tell you that they're a member of that community. Um, and that shouldn't be like that, but the reality is it's. So we might just have to think how we would need to maybe tailor our comms and the relationship building might be slightly different. So do you think there's anything that we can do immediately in order to make certain clientele from LGBTQ plus community, say over a certain age, feel more comfortable about telling us who they are? Or do you think we're pretty good at that already? I don't think we are for anybody really. I mean, you look at the amount of people that don't actually access our services. We have done that piece of work on unmet need. I think you're right, it probably does need different cons. How do people know that we're here for them? How do they know that we genuinely want to care for them and support them? <coughs> so, yeah, I think we do need to, to think about how we do that. How do we reach people? Mm. Um, and it probably does take a different approach, and it will take a different approach probably for many years until, like you say, you get society change. Now, my daughter comes home with all her gay mates and they will have sleepovers and it's all great and everybody just bumps up the stairs and they have a fantastic time. And that's what it is. Mm. 
if that would have happened in my household with my father the door so you know things are changing but it's how do we reach people that are feeling particularly threatened vulnerable Mm -hmm. people that have been not included in anything Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah we probably do need to to think about that's that's about talking isn't it and engaging and actually we don't know what we don't know either yeah so that's why we need to do this bit of work because genuinely you can't change things if you don't know what no. you need to change. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I know that Rebecca and I have had varied conversations, haven't we, about from your perspective as a trans woman, um, it would be incredibly important to you at the end of life to be physically treated as a woman. Yeah. Because that's who you see you, you are. Yeah. So and it do you think there's an element almost of um and this is why I want to have these conversations because I want you to educate me okay. right, about how okay. we're going to get into it now. How how we can, as a hospice, as hospice workers, as we can accommodate this. But is there an element of you that mainly feels like no one really wants to think about death or dying? But as we're talking about it, you almost came into the world in the wrong body, and you want to leave it in the right one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That it's it's a case of I've it's been a hard struggle it's been a challenge to finally come out as me after 30 years of not being mm-hmm. truthful mm-hmm. and and it's a case of I want at the end to be treated as who I truly am yes and every time I come into any kind of medical environment or NHS or anything that's clinical mm-hmm. there's always that fear that it's gonna what my gender is gonna be done on paper if I'm gonna be treated and, and that's discussed in media all the time. So I guess that is a massive fear. So in this environment, I guess I would need to know that mm-hmm. me and my partner be treated as a gay, lesbian couple. Yes. That I would need to be treated as a woman, despite what I anatomy might be at that present time in my life. Yeah. And yeah, that would just be the world for me to not have to think mm-hmm. is ever be a challenge on who I am. That shouldn't even be something that's a conversation mm-hmm. uh, around that time. It should be a case of just carrying on as normal. Definitely. And so for us, for the trans community particularly, um, you also mentioned about, as an example, certain members of the community who might be transitioning are on certain drugs and there's a cocktail of drugs that, I don't know, I'm not clinical, but they might impact some of the drugs that our doctors need to give. So it's about making sure that from a clinical perspective, we don't, we're not, we don't steam in with certain questions that would obviously make you feel uncomfortable. And I, I remember you saying as well that sometimes, you know, doctors would read things, oh, why are you on that? Why are you on that? And they're just like, come oh, on. Like, so to, maybe from a clinical point of view, certainly around some, certain drug types and things, that because that's a huge part of our care, we might need to do some extra education from, I don't know, maybe we get pharmacists to look at, I'm not sure, but something that we could do tailored to trans community and the cocktail of drugs that certain members might be on and the impact of those on end of life care drugs. I think that would be, you know, really important piece of work for us to do to make sure that we're not asking those questions in the wrong way. Yeah. And I think when people reach the end of life, we have something called the priorities of care. Mm-hmm. So that's when we work hopefully with patients before they become too poorly mm-hmm. and their families about what's important to them. That's no different for you or for anybody else. It's about what's important. And by asking that genuinely and openly, I would really hope that that would give you the the confidence and for you to feel really comfortable in saying, actually, when I do, I want to be treated like a lady. It's really important mm-hmm. for my family, for my partner, for my wife, my husband yeah. to actually be treated in 
this way. It's really important for me to be dressed in this way. Mm -hmm. And we would be asking that for anyone. Mm -hmm. So we've got the basics there, but I just think it's about broadening that recognition um, to make sure that we capture everything mm -hmm. and that we're not afraid as clinicians of perhaps really wanting to know or perhaps just giving the prompts if you mm -hmm. like to make sure that we get everything right you know it might be important what room you're in yeah and who you share a room with mm -hmm. if you share a room at all you know if we haven't got a single room mm -hmm. you know and it's all these sorts of things that you need to think about you know the medicines how do they interest what's the side effects we have pathways for people that are diabetic Mm -hmm. and they can't take the diabetic medicines okay. to make sure that their blood sugars are stabilised. Yeah. So what's the effect of suddenly stopping some of your medications because you can't swallow? Exactly. Is that what causes really uncomfortable side effects? That's a very good point, isn't it? Huge one way, for bone check. Absolutely, which we really, oh, as I know, really, it <laughs> really helpful, you know? That's another podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, you know, and I think it, it's all of these sorts of things. It's about raising awareness. So I think we've got the basics, mm -hmm. but we just need to build on the basics of really good care and good practice to yeah. make sure it's really inclusive Definitely. and that we actually cover everything mm -hmm. that we need to cover to keep you safe treated with dignity comfortable and that you have a good death yeah and, and that things around you that should be priority that that we want absolutely. you to have as peaceful as possible yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely and that's why it's so important to get to know the person they have to get to know the person know everything about them all of the complexities that might come with their life um, and then we can create that you know care plan if you like and that whatever type of care we're providing at any point in time it can be about you as an individual mm -hmm. yes i like it okay so just before we wrap up um in terms of hospice care if there was maybe one thing that if you're going to change anything if you were going to improve anything from community trans community what do you think it could be um see i i just like the idea of the trans element not being brought up at all yes and yes. just from day one to come through the door and it be the exact same thing as everybody else mm -hmm. and only when it's identified like through medication uh, counter interactions and those kind of issues it's because that's when we start with those discussions otherwise it won't be treated exactly the same as everyone else completely um, agree completely agree and obviously from my perspective as well it's almost like well, yes, they're considerations we need to think of. You know, me, I might be on certain medications, you know, and you might be on different medications, but actually our core value at Eleanor, one of our core values is inclusivity and being dealt or being treated as an individual. I'm Anna. I'm not in my box one day of, you know, I'm with my wife, I'm LGBT, I'm just Anna. And it'd be nice to be seen as that individual and as that person, which actually I think we do really well. Um, at Eleanor and I think hospice care in general outside of healthcare mm -hmm. do really well because we know it's such a difficult time and you get one chance to get it right which is why we go all out for that yeah um, I love that I know that obviously due to the age groups mm -hmm. you're going to get people coming out later in life as well and that's trying so you might get someone who's yeah. physically infirm and can't shave they're coming in with stubborn things but they want to be treated yes. as a woman or vice the other way around mm -hmm. and so yeah that's just that from the day one that starts so i might be treated mm. not as who i was 
Yes, I love that. And definitely some food for thought. There's definitely some things that off the back of this podcast and talking to you really insightful as well, we'll take away, I'm sure, and have a bit more of a discussion around maybe looking at, again, you know, in terms of like drunk cocktails and things like that and end-of-life care, how that might impact, how we can do something with better. So, yeah, lots of really good conversations. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. It's been a really insightful conversation. Thank you for being part of it. That was, yeah, thank you. And we've got plenty more to do, don't we? There's plenty more work to do. Um, but that was part one of our um, LGBTQ plus mini-series here at LNR, our very first podcast. So well done, everyone, and thanks again for joining. Mm-hmm.